Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you for Paul and Laura for their friendship all those years. Can you hear me now? Okay. I got So, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you here. And shalom. I would like to thank Paul and Laura for their years of friendship. And as you all know, the church was in Israel in July, and we never planned for me to see you so soon again, and even on this part of the ocean. But, you know, this is where we are. And when this was planned, I asked Laura and Paul to be able to speak at the church because um, for me as an Israeli that's been guiding for 31 years, that's what I do for a living. I explain Israel and I feel that now it's very, very hard to explain for people that are from another part of the world that are trying to understand what's going on with the media to really know what's going on in land. And that's why I'm here and that's why I'm taking a tour across the US to explain wherever people are willing to hear what I uh, wish to tell you. So I want to start with um, scripture that um, Paul and I was choosing. And you've got the scripture over there. It's from Isaiah. And while you're going to look at this in English, I'm going to read that in Hebrew. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. Bekavei Adonai yachlifo koach yalu evar kenesharim yarutsu velo igu yelchu velo yaufu. I chose this verse because of hope. So the question that comes is if you have faith, you have hope. If you have trust, you have hope. But in order to have faith, you have to have hope and trust all together. And this is where I am starting my talk from. So I'm going to tell you about where I've been in 7 October when all of that happened. But before I do that, I want to, because most of you do not know me, I want to tell you a couple of things that maybe surprise you, maybe won't. But what I'm asking is for you, even if you hear something that you don't agree with, which is perfectly fine, just to not block your heart, hear me all the way through. And maybe then it will be more clear to you what happened, what is happening right now in my country. So. It's not ground rules, but those are like the points I want you to keep in mind before I start telling you about 7th of October. So what the world doesn't understand that the Palestinians and the Israelis are actually on the same side. Israel and the Palestinians cannot exist while Hamas existing. Hamas is a terror organization that lives and protects itself with humans, Palestinians, in Gaza Strip. So if Israel and a Palestinian want to coexist, 
Hamas cannot exist. And that's why this war is going on now. This war, sadly, for both sides, cannot stop before Hamas stop existing. Because any ceasefire is not going to achieve that goal. And also, we leave 244 Israelis, including 40 babies and children, in the hands of those barbaric people. Those are the uh, ground rules. What you may not know that Hamas is trying to destroy Israel for the last 35 years. It's not an organization that was just born at the 6th of October. And his way of doing it is using human Palestinians as his shield to protect themselves from the Israeli army. Uh, for example, the missiles and the rockets that are being launched from hospitals, from school, and from innocent Palestinians in uh, Gaza, which require the Israeli army to retaliate to stop the shooting of the thousands of rockets and missiles into Israel from Gaza Strip. The tunnels that are built all under Gaza are not built in order to help the economy. They're not giving jobs for Palestinians. The tunnels are there to destroy Israel and on the process to destroy the Palestinians as, as a people, not as a nation. Hamas represents the Palestinians. That's the government in Gaza Strip, but it's not really a choice of people to have this organization to uh, run their country. Um, Israel is definitely trying to avoid hurting civilians, but the situation now that that is not really possible with Hamas infrastructure inside people's home. So you probably all know that Hamas calls Israel the little Satan, but you definitely know that Hamas called the US the big Satan. So Minor enemy is also your enemy. The only difference is that they are not shooting rockets at you right now. And you always have to remember that. It's very easy to feel safe and comfortable at home, and I'm not here to scare you. But that's how we feel. We feel safe and comfortable at home until we don't feel that any longer. We've been, before uh, 7th of October, in the last 20 years, we were hit by more than 20,000 missiles and rockets. So I may be more resilient than you are, but it doesn't mean I'm enjoying it. The fact that I, I can talk on the phone and say, oh, cool, there's a rocket going over my head. You know what that means? It means I am safe, but somebody is not going to be safe in a few minutes. And for the Iron Dome to make us feel a little bit safer because we know there's something that is protecting us. So um, let me tell you about 7th of October. I was uh, with a group from South Africa, a group of people that came from pretty much the middle of nowhere, their only time ever outside of South Africa, they saved money for years as Christians to come and see the Holy Land, God's country, where Jesus walked. The tour went fine. We started the 1st of October, 
And then, of course, at the morning of the 7th of um, October, we were in the north of the country. So about two and a half, three hours from Gaza. I didn't read the news, I didn't open the TV, and I had no idea what just started three hours away from where we were. And I was prepared to take my tourists that day around the Sea of Galilee to see where Jesus walked, where he made those miracles, when he casted the fish into the, the nets. Just Jesus' ministry in Galilee, you know, work day for me, very special day for the people. And um, I got an email from overzealous travel agents about my traveling to India for what well, was supposed to happen four months later. And she ends her, her email with, I hope the day continue better than it started. Now, I don't know what she's talking about. So I just check up on, online and I see that there's some kind of uh, rockets going on in the south of the country. So I don't take this too seriously because I know I'm three hours away. So those rockets from Hamas, from Gaza, are not are a risk or a threat for me and my tourists. And this is how Israel is. It's smaller than New Jersey, but we, are, we have three different borders with three different enemies. Now, Jordan is not an enemy, and, and Egypt is not an enemy, but what's between us and them is, is the areas where Palestinians are living, and in the areas where the Palestinians are living, you've got terrorist organization. For instance, the Palestinian autonomy doesn't have one uh, government. It has a government in Gaza, it has a government in the Judea and Samaria, in the West Bank, and of course you've got the worst of all, so we thought, Hezbollah that sits in the south of Lebanon and pretty much controls Lebanon. So at this point I text the travel agency. This is Saturday and it's also a holiday, Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacle. I text the travel agent and says, what do you want me to do? This looks a little bit more serious than usual. And she says, we just got an email from Ministry of Tourism and Ministry of Defense. Tourists are not allowed to get out of the hotels. So I'm collecting my people who have no idea that this is all started. And I'm telling them, as, uh, at this point it was called a military operation, an attack over Israel, explain that to them, of course they get very, very anxious, very worried, even though they're third world people, so they're not online as much as we are. They don't really know what's going on, but here is their local representative tells them we are to stay in here. So that day, as I'm checking out the news and looking at TV way more than I would usually do on a day of work, I'm realizing the atrocities, the horrible day that the people in the south of Israel is going on. When I talk about the south of Israel, I'm talking about the Negev. I'm talking about an area that is closer to Gaza Strip and you have over 33 different Israeli communities. Most of the people that live in this area are liberals and left-wing. They feel very, very sorry for the Palestinians and because of that, they give Palestinian jobs in their farms, in their homes. 
So 90,000 Palestinians leave Gaza Strip before 7 of October every day to get their livelihood from Israel, not from the Palestinian autonomy. Israel gives them job because you know something? If your neighbor is good, you are good. If your neighbor is not good, you are not going to be good. And Israel recognized that. And a Palestinian autonomy with 79% unemployment doesn't seem to understand that their people need jobs. Why is that? Because the government is assembled from Hamas members. And the, the money that is being sent by donation and from Qatar is not going to the people, not helping poverty. It's helping Hamas get more rockets and more missiles and build more tunnels under Gaza Strip. So therefore, at, at this uh, point, I'm starting to see what's going on in the news and it looks unreal. Is that Hamas knew that smartphones are kind of burned. So they went back to old landline. Who would even think of listening to the landline. Well, intelligence should have been thinking about that. They did that in their tunnels, and that was missed. Now, in order to think that a war starting or a big operation, you have to have three red flags, meaning moving of troops, practicing different kind of things that will mark to intelligence that something is happening. There was no three red flags and therefore the alert was not as high as we all know that should have been. So uh, we're passing that, here it is, it's Saturday, less people are in the army and less people are in the police and it's on top of all of that, that's a holiday. So when the attack starts in a smart time, 6.30 in the morning on a holiday, it wasn't prepared and the attack started on that music festivals. The, the, the young people in the music festival started calling their parents. Their parents from wherever they are in the country are now driving because their kids send location so the parents can find them. So local police and ex-soldiers, ex uh, ex-military veterans were now rushing towards south to start helping. Of course, that was not enough and all those uh, communities that invaded at 6.30 in the morning, so surprised at the terrorists in their homes, burning them when they couldn't get to them because they were in the safe room. We all have safe rooms. Every home in Israel, when you ask for uh, permission, license, to buy a new home, the first thing that you need to show is where is your safe room. You build your home around the safe room. It will be the room that is most protected. You have to have electricity, water, and um, a little bit of supplies for 72 hours to be able to survive with, off the grid for 72 hours. So the people who live in the south of the country, their safe room needs to face north, right? Because Hamas will be shooting at them from south. So your south wall is the less safe room in the house. I live in the center. My safe room is in the west. 
west would be Mediterranean Sea, so it's my safe direction. People who live in the north facing Hezbollah, their safe home needs to face south. Okay, so the people in the south of the country who suffered so much more than we did, they now lock themselves in their safe home. But they've never ever imagined that the terrorists, and we talk about 3,000 of them, not three, not 30, 3,000 of them are now invading the settlements. Uh, the, not settlements is not the right word because we're not talking about uh, West Bank, we're, we're talking about Israel. So communities, invading the communities. How did I know where to go? Palestinian from Gaza who worked in those communities led the terrorists into the homes where people gave them job and being their friends and drove them to hospitals when they needed um, any kind of help. Those are the traders, the ones that worked for the Israelis and now either were blackmailed, paid, or volunteered to show the terrorists where they need to go to kill people. I don't want to get into the atrocities. I don't want to talk about the horrible ways of, of massacre because you've seen it and um, it's very, very hard. I've got a friend in one of those communities. She lives there with her two daughters. Her daughters, it's my daughter's age. I send her a message. I don't get any answer from her, but I see that she's, she's online, so I know she is alive. Hours later, she tell me that she went the day before to Tel Aviv to help her daughter move to her student apartment. And she's in Tel Aviv and she's safe, but she's horrified but because they have, you know, a texting a groups like we use WhatsApp and she understands what's going on in the kibbutz where she is safe with her daughters. This kibbutz near Oz lost one of every four people. They started the war with 470. Now they have a quarter. Some people dead, some people are kidnapped in Gaza. Kidnapped in Gaza, babies nine months old to senior citizens in their 80s, Holocaust survivor, people with Alzheimer's and dementia. How, how did the media refuse to use the word terrorist and call them freedom fighter? When you're getting a baby out of his mom's womb, is this baby was a risk for anybody? Is that nine months old baby? that is now a month in, in captivity. Was he any risk to anybody? I don't think so. And I, I feel that the media is doing real injustice to Israel. I feel that today people are only reading the headlines and making their opinions on headlines that nobody even checked if they have anything to do with the truth. Just like that event where Hamas was launching a missile towards Haifa and blew up the hospital. You all remember that. Two minutes later, they said 500 people are dead. How did they know two minutes later that there was already 500 people dead? The media, even here in North America, definitely in Europe, all of a sudden turned around Israel and was 
screaming ceasefire, which you understand, ceasefire is not helping, but nobody was even checking. They took Hamas, a terror organization, as a reliable source for information. How many days did it take for the media to retract their accusing Israel? And that's the problem, that we're not looking for facts. We're looking for easy way to blame someone else. We lost our patient, and a lot of, of people feels to me here in North America, to, to my opinion, lost their, their humanity. Look what happened to the Jewish student in the campuses. Gas the Jews, kill the Jews. A lot of Jewish uh, people in North America took all their huge donations from Harvard and other Ivy League schools because if they're calling to kill the Jewish student, why would the Jewish philanthropist give their money to this school? It's just impossible. And what I feel as a person that is connected to North America because of work, so I feel like I understand the culture better than most Israelis, is that I feel that Israel is not getting a fair chance to explain itself. We are not angel. Nobody is an angel. But nobody is looking for the full picture. And it feels that the world moved on from those 240 people. How would you feel if that was your member of your family? How would you feel if they were at the end of Hamas for months now? You know what happened yesterday? They found a part of a skull of a young woman and identified her to her name, Shani. She's actually a German citizen, but one of her parents, her dad, is Israeli. You know what he says? I am so happy she's dead because I don't have to worry of what they are doing to her in Gaza. Could you imagine? Only a part of a skull of a whole human being, that's what's left, and her dad is just happy that she's dead. Can you imagine that? And that's before people are accusing us of, of all the atrocities that are, we are being accused. Just have compassion to what we are dealing with right now. And I feel so blessed by God and so protected because when it started, I was away. And only when the flight or stopping and there was less, so my group couldn't get out of the country originally from the airport. We took them, I took them to the border crossing with Jordan, which is a land crossing. The, we took them to Jordan. I did not go to Jordan. We took them to Jordan because we felt it would be safer for them to try to find a flight back home to South Africa. And then I got to Jerusalem. And I got to Jerusalem and it was creepy. Jerusalem was empty. You know, middle of the week, Monday afternoon, this is a city with a, with a million of people, absolutely nobody in the street. Our bus driver, he dropped me off. He, by the way, was Palestinian, which I worked with before, and normally was much nicer to me than he was that day. He I said, take me somewhere where there's more people. Don't just leave me in the middle of the street. And he says, no, I, I'm not taking you. You get off in here. So I'm walking towards the tram, 
to the to the train, and all of a sudden there's a siren. Now remember, it started on Saturday morning. It's Monday afternoon. I have not heard a siren this time yet. And now I'm in the middle of the road, huge highway. I've got to find a place to protect myself. And I've got a suitcase. So I'm running to the other side of the road because there is uh, stops for the tram. Not that those stops, which are metal, are going to help me. What you need to do is you need to run into a bomb shelter if there isn't a building or just find a wall to protect you. And you haven't got any of that. You lay on the ground, you put your hands on your head, and you wait for 10 minutes. So I get to do that. And you know what happened to me? I get so annoyed. I don't get scared anymore because I've heard so many sirens. But I get annoyed that we live in a in a time and days where this is what I get to lay on the asphalt and put my hands on my head and wait for the rockets. Here we hear the sounds of the interception of the Iron Dome and um, the rockets that came from Hamas. And then everything is okay. Now you wait for the, for the tram to come get you. This is my reality. Get up from the floor. I call this taxi driver, which I know. And I says, Nisim, can you come get me? He says, are you in Jerusalem? Are you nuts? I says, don't move. I'm coming to get him. So his wife calls and says, why are you here? Come home. And he says, no, I got to take Vered home. So, you know, he takes me home. And then the war starts, and then you can't leave you just can't leave the TV. You can't stop watching those atrocities. They come to your dreams. They come in your life. Everybody is so stressed. It is it's just impossible to describe it if you are not there. It's just impossible. I'm doing my best. But you can't understand the stress, the worry. Everybody has sons neighbors, friends in the army. So they are safe in the location where they are, but people have to leave their job for as long as it takes to just help defend the country. So wartime is no schools, only essentials, work half day, because if we are, where I live is about an hour and a half away from the border, if you are that far, then you're allowed to go outside, you're allowed to walk your dogs. It's not even about allowed. You can do whatever you want. You just want to be close enough to be protected next time that the next missile and rocket comes. And that's our reality now. And me personally, as a tour guide, I've lost my job. All my tours until May are already canceled. And I felt if I'm out of work, maybe that's what I should do. Just come and tell you what's going on in Israel. So, um, just last week, you all know, um, US and the UN have required Israel 
to open a humanitarian uh, space where people who are injured can get, get out towards Egypt. You, you, I'm sure you all saw those numbers. I saw it in the American media. 30% of the people that are requesting to leave for the humanitarian corridor are Hamas terrorists. So the world wanna be kind, but we are talking two different languages, a language that is not wanting peace and a Western world language that wants something else than the reality. And that's something that I think is very, very important to remember there's two victims here, the Palestinians and the Israelis. And you can't untangle the Palestinians and the Israelis. You cannot, and of course I'm not talking about you personally, make Israel the bad guy here after what happened. The, the worst terrorist attack ever happened to such a tiny country that have no choice just to be strong. Let's uh, read together that verse from Isaiah, okay? They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strengths. They shall mouth out with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you very much for listening to me.